Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you be with me today uh, as I as I try to unpack your word, as I look for the treasures that are that are in the scriptures and, and put them on display for folks, Lord. Help me to um, just over and over again point to Jesus, uh, point to his uh, life, death, resurrection for us. Um, and I pray, Lord, that the folks who are here would hear from you, um, that I would stay out of the way, uh, but that it would just be your spirit that speaks, that folks would, would know you more as a result of, of hearing the word preached today. I uh, pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. When uh, I was in college, I had a roommate who uh, bought a Rubik's Cube. Um, oh my goodness, my software isn't going to work. Are you kidding me? It's updating. Stupid auto-update. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he bought a Rubik's Cube, and he, he learned to, to do it himself, Right? And, and I remember I would sit there, and I would mess with it, and I, I could never quite get all the colors to match. Could anybody else relate to this? Um, and I, I uh, you know, you get one side perfect, and then you messed up the other side. And I asked my roommate, I said, well, how did you manage to do this? And he said, well, I took it apart, and I saw how it worked, and then I put it back together. And, I, and years later, I discovered there's a trick, and he, like, was basically lying. Um, <laughs> and I, I can't abide by folks who would just make stuff up off the spot like that. That's, that's terrible. Um, but I, I, the reason I'm bringing this up, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> the, the thing with the Rubik's Cube, and a lot of puzzles are this way, those brain teasers, where you pull on one string and it messes with something else. And, and you have to make decisions moving forward to solve the puzzle. Um, we're doing Psalm 16 today, and this is, this is a psalm that, that um, it's one of the few times that I'm reading commentaries on it and I'm studying, and I, I came across a scholar who outright said, um, the best we can do here is say both of these readings are valid, we're not real sure. So um, I'm going to do my best with this up front, but there, there's some things you need to understand like as we go into this. Hebrew, ancient Hebrew... Uh, and, and these texts in particular are about 3,000 years old. Um, we are very blessed in this era. Uh, we, any scripture text that you read is going to be backed up by about 5,000 manuscripts minimum. Um, the, the scriptures from the ancient world to today like, are the most well-documented documents. Actually, they are more well-documented than Shakespeare's plays. Um, you know, and that's, that's just a few hundred years ago. Um, but this is one of those instances where the language is difficult. And because the language is difficult, um, there's a couple of ways to read some of the, some of the words in this, in this particular text. Um, and so I'm going to dive into this. Um, but as I do that, understand we're going to be doing this, um, and we're gonna, I'm going to present two different paths to read it. Okay? Um, I know which one I think is right. But um, as, as the scholar said, it's not really possible to determine, based on what we have in our hands today, which is the right reading. Everybody with me? It doesn't change the core meaning of the text. It changes some of the way we read it. So um, the Psalms themselves are uh, prayers. They're worship songs. 
Um, they likely would have been sung in a bunch of different settings. Um, some of them, actually, we can read and identify where different people wrote them. There's a psalm that you can read it and say, oh, wow, David wrote this at this time in this setting. Um, you can read Psalm 23, and you can stand in the ruins of, of you know, the excavated ruins of, of David's palace in Jerusalem, and you can look out over the Kidron Valley, which is the Valley of Death, and say, oh, my gosh, that's the Valley of Death. Like, and you can sit there until darkness comes, and you can see... It's really dark and probably was really scary at the time when you could be eaten by wolves or, or whatever. Um, and so coming into this, like, this is, um, it is, it, their songs, their worship, these are very human. There's a lot of human element in these, and that's going to come up today. Um, they're one of, the, one of the spots in Scripture where, like, we see as much of the author and as much of ourselves as we do of, like, the Holy Spirit's movement. Um, they're still inerrant. They still fall into that category. But there's like sort of a personal thing to it. Everybody with me? Which actually makes them really powerful and really accessible and really wonderful. Um, and sometimes really hard. Um, there is some prophecy in this particular psalm. This happens sometimes. Um, this could be a direct prophecy. It could be what's called typology, which is a term that was co- coined by uh, the Apostle Paul it's uh, from the Greek, tupos, which means like a stamp. You all had those stamps when you were kids, right? You know, you do it with Play-Doh and you'd stamp the little picture and the opposite would be, like, that's basically what typology is. It's an imprint that presents an idea. And typology refers to um, places and spots where Jesus is obviously in the text. And he's obviously in the text in a huge way that is breathtaking. And this is one of those little instances where there's typology probably, though some people say prophecy, we'll get to that when we get to it. Um, Last thing before we dive into the text proper, the land. Um, The Jewish people, uh, Israel itself is, is huge. The fact that this is the place that God promised them, this place is directly linked to God's interaction with them and his intervention on their behalf. And, and like they perceive the land as a part of God's promise. Um, and so that's huge. Like understand this is all the way to the core of who they are, their connection to the land. Um, and in fact, actually, the northern kingdom, when they were taken away by the Assyrians, they allowed that connection to the land to get diluted and they never came back. Like they, they just disappeared. Like that's the ten tribes in the north all just gone. And they never returned because they allowed their identity and their connection to the land to dissipate. And then when the southern kingdom, they maintained that. And it was always in the forefront of their vision. And they came back and were restored eventually. Um, So understand the land is huge. It's going to play in here. But we'll dive into the text and I'll explain what I mean. So David starts. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Um. I read recently, and this is this is me kind of putting this into the modern context before we get far, um, that the more wealth and comfort a culture experiences, there's an inverse sense of security. Um, and actually, you can see that right now. Like, we are, in our day and age, living in the wealthiest, most comfortable most advanced, most technological, most secure environment, um, I think, in the history of the world. You all with me? 
Like we have, um, my children, I always, it blows my mind when they want to say they're bored. Bored is a bad word in my house because my children enjoy um, entertainment options unheard of to the wealthiest people in the entire world 150 years ago. I mean, it's true. And like that's the stuff that they don't, you know, they leave laying on their floor. <laughs> I mean, like it's not even, it's not even a big deal to them. Um, but we live in an environment where we have everything and we have security and we have backup systems and protections, but we're a little obsessed with what happens when it all goes away, right? I mean, there's a rash right now of uh, post-apocalyptic movies and TV shows and what are you going to do when everything falls apart? And what are you, I, I read probably 10 article or headlines, not articles, like where I'll be scanning my, my social media or I'll be reading some website and Oh, this is your bug out bag. Your this is what you take with you so you don't die when the culture collapses and you have to run away from your home. And I actually sat down recently. I thought maybe I should make one of those just in case. And I thought I'm like 40 something. The world hadn't collapsed yet. You know, it might be the case that it ain't gonna tomorrow, right? Um, or or you know, we prepare and plan. I years ago, well. Um, the more comfortable we get, the more fear we have that things are going to go away. And there's this psychological associated thing like where, where comfort and fear of loss like go hand in hand. We live in this world where we think, what if it disappears? What if, what if, what if, what if? You know, what if my stocks fall apart? What if my 401k is gone? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I'm homeless? What if, you know, there's no food? What if, I mean, honestly, at this point, I, I could go without a little food. Um, <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> uh, you're you're like one of the few guys I can't give grief back to. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> the ouch. Um, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. The thing that goes with that is a lot of times we look for our protection, we look for safety, we look for refuge in places that we have no business looking, right? Um, I, I have good friends who firmly believe that the thing that will keep them safe and their biggest refuge is, is manufactured by Smith & Wesson. I mean, this is Montana, right? <laughs> um, I, I, you know, or in our, I, I know people who bury gold in their backyard just in case. You know, I know people who, I mean, there are ways that we insulate ourselves and we protect ourselves and we squirrel away and save and protect and everything else and we seek out safety and refuge and in those things um like it's not necessarily wicked to do that it's not necessarily sinful but at the same time like our real safety our real refuge are found in things that aren't things right like god is my only refuge god is my only safety there will be a day i will take my last breath and somebody else will pick up my Smith & Wesson, and somebody else will inherit my um, 401k, all $8 of it. And, and, and none of that stuff is going to protect me when I stand before the Lord, right? Um, you know, my freedoms, my this, my that, the only real protection, the only real safety, the only real comfort I ever enjoy is in the Lord. Um, I, had a, I had a guy I worked with. He was not a friend of mine. He was kind of obnoxious. Um, I, I don't think he's my friend on Facebook, so hopefully he won't hear me say this. I, I was riding my bicycle to work when I was first starting to lose weight and get healthier, and I quit smoking and I quit drinking. And I do, 
making myself a better person. And I, I was riding my bicycle to work, and, and I was in the mail room after I had cleaned up. And he walked in. He's like, oh, yeah, I saw, your, I saw you on your way to work today on your bicycle. He's like, I was, oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's like 20 miles. I ride it a few times a week. And he's like, yeah, think about that. You put all that effort in being healthy, working out. I could have run you over. <laughs> and all of that effort would have been wasted. <laughs> But there's some truth in that. I go to the gym every morning, but in reality, I could drop dead of a widowmaker tomorrow, right? I have insurance. <laughs> um, in reality, like, I don't control my future. The only refuge, the only comfort, the only future I have is in the Lord. Um, that is it. That is all I've got. Um, and we lose sight of that because, um, because we have so much. Because we have so many comforts, we have so much wealth, we have so much like ability to protect ourselves, everything. We have so much, and we lose sight of the fact that God is it. We look to our own arm for comfort. Um, and that's part of what's about to happen in this psalm. Um, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing, right? And that's the core of it. Every dollar in my bank, both of them, um, I have them because the Lord provides. Right? I have my health because the Lord provides. I have the opportunity to stand here free and not be afraid that I'm going to go to jail for preaching the gospel, like, because the Lord provides. I have hope in the future because Christ died for my sins. He provides me salvation. He provides me cleansing. He provides me tomorrow, like, hope in eternity. He provides that. Everything I have, everything I have is from the Lord. And, like, I can forget that. I can forget and think, oh, well, I'm doing pretty good. Well, no, God's given me stuff. I work too, but I know people who work hard and have nothing. Isn't it true? Um, I know folks who work hard and wake up one morning and, and actually I knew a very wealthy man years ago who um, woke up one morning with a backache. And a few weeks later he discovered that he had a staph infection in his spine. And in the course of several years he went through treatment and he lost the ability to move, and he sold off his car collection and his house, and I mean, and, and then on the other end, he had nothing, right? Like, we have what we have because the Lord allows us to have it, and it's easy to lose sight of that. We have safety because the Lord allows us to have it. Part of this is a stepping off from Psalm 15. If you didn't make it up to camp last week, that sermon is on the web, on the Facebook page. Um, it is not on the, on the podcast, sorry. Um, but, but this idea that we have protection, we have safety in the Lord only, like it is a continuing theme from the previous Psalm. And there's some people who argue they're connected. We're not going to get into that right now. Now, what we are going to get into is three and four. This is where the Rubik's cube starts. Okay. So stick with me. Um, I'm preaching from the NIV. I chose it on purpose. Um, It's translated here, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are noble ones in whom is all my delight. Now, um, there are two words here that are translated a specific way. I, this could be translated you. And actually, I think that's probably the stronger reading. And here's why. Because if he goes from saying the Lord is everything and then he says, I say this, 
he's suddenly shifting directions away from the Lord and on to this holy people. Um, holy people, this word is sometimes translated saints. It is almost always used as a reference to pagan deities that were worshipped in the land. Right? And so if we read it that way, it is, you say to the pagan gods who are in the land, you are noble, um, and all of my delight is in you. And so I think what the psalmist is doing is comparing himself to these guys and saying, I say the Lord is my delight. You say to the false gods, you're going to save me. Now, why is this a big deal? Well, it is a big deal because um, this is the, we live in the land of milk and honey almost, right? Like, not literally. We are not Israel. This is not the new Israel. This is not the promised land. But, like, we have stuff, right? We have resources. We have opportunity. We have freedom. We have this. We have that. I mean, we have so much. Um, and it is easy to look at the things in our culture and say, this is my God. Um, TJ, my friend here, just moved to town this week, and I said I wasn't going to point him out, and I did anyway. There you go. Um, his father was talking to my wife. We went to the gym together, and after we were done at the gym, he's like, man, Eric works out like crazy. How is he not thinner? And my wife said, it's because he eats whatever he wants. And part of that is because I struggle with food. Food is an idol in my world, right? I get angry. You know what I do? I got a, I got a bag of candy bars hidden in the building. I'm not going to say where, because some people, John, might get into them, or <laughs> Jeremy, or probably a few others of you. <laughs> but if I have a bad day, there are days I'll get angry and I'll sit down and I'll eat a candy bar. You know why? Makes me feel better. Right? I, I was a little stressed out this morning. I, I had to run home and grab something um, that we actually needed, and I, I ate a handful of cookies before I came back because I was stressed out. Like, <laughs> now, now, <laughs> um, we are surrounded by, like, pagan things that we worship. We worship, I mean, money, right? Um, I know folks, that they have a bad day and they run to the Internet to, to gossip about one politician or another or about their neighbor or to check out the adult sites or whatever, like, we, we find things that make us feel better, and we find our security in them, right? Most of these gods um, that this would be referring to would be like fertility gods. Give us a good harvest. Give us plenty of rain. Give us this. Give us that. And they would worship these things because, you know, God, these gods gave them stuff. And um, that is one way of reading it. It is possible that in the other direction, I say of the saints meaning that he is delighting in the people of Israel. I don't think it's the stronger read. That is my opinion, having looked at it. Because then we go to the next verse, and it says, Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names to my lips. And so, like, for him to say one and then the other, this other gods thing fits really well with that reading. Does that make sense? And so that's why I think it's a stronger read to say that this is a reference to pagan gods. Um, that's my Rubik's Cube explanation. I took it apart and I put it back together, and that's what I came up with. Um, <laughs> those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. The phrase there, suffer more and more, um, it's the same word used to describe the boils that Job got. Like, um, I was discussing something very similar with, uh, with Ross earlier. 
Um, this is the sort of misery that comes from physical ailment that is on the surface, the kind of thing that like hurts constantly and you can't ignore it. Um, and he's saying, listen, these folks who chase after these pagan gods, they're going to suffer and they're going to suffer horribly for it. They're going to suffer in a way that that um, will make them wish for death. And um, but this is the thing that they choose. And I've seen this. I've talked to guys who, um, you know, who I've talked to men who who turn to pornography to deal with being depressed or anxious or or insecure or whatever. And they'll say, I wish I could stop doing this. And it makes me miserable. And I'm so ashamed. And this is the worst thing ever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they keep going back to it and it becomes this like pain that grips them or you'll see where folks will um go straight to worry because they need to be in control anybody else do this because i'm totally this guy too i worry about everything i want to control stuff i want to like have my fingers in everything and be able to like like run the show in every problem that i deal with and like like this worry and this misery that comes with it is just a sign that like i don't trust god and there's misery that comes with it and makes me more and more miserable. And in reality, i got to back up and say, you know what, God, you're in control of all this. I trust that you are in control. I don't want to. It's hard. Now, I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. <laughs> um, ancient pagans would sacrifice animals, um, which is actually common everywhere in the ancient world. The Jew Jewish folks would sacrifice animals to God as well. Um, but amongst the pagans, when they would uh, sacrifice animals, a lot of times they would collect up the blood and um, they would pour out the blood as an offering or they would drink it, uh, though the evidence for that is a little weaker. Um, and he's saying this. He's like, listen, I'm not going to participate in their thing, right? This way that they chase after false gods, this way that they chase after idols, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that guy. I will not join in. I'm going to do something a little different today. We're going to do our GROW as we go. For those of you all who are new, GROW is my acronym. We're going to be looking at uh, spiritual growth. How do we apply this? What do we do with it? And the first letter here, G, um, stands for give it to God. Like, like the first step in spiritual growth is always submitting to God. And really, at this point in the text, what we have to back up and say is, like, do I trust God's promises? Right? Because in reality, when I look at my bank account and I say, I need this to save me, and I'm more focused on that than I am on doing the Lord's will, guess what? Like, I'm not submitting to God. I know folks that will work incessantly, work constantly, work so much that it wrecks their families and wrecks their health and wrecks everything else, and it becomes an idol to them. Because they have to like find all their fulfillment in that. And they have to make more money. And they have to have more stuff. And they have to all of this. And in reality, that is just not promise, trusting God's promises, right? Um, when I wake up in the morning and I think, well, i got to go and do my workout or I'll die of a heart attack early, which could happen. Um, there's a part of me not trusting God. I'm trusting in my ability to do this, right? Um, we do it everywhere in our lives. We trust in what we have and what we want or what can save us by our own efforts or what other, you know, whatever thing might, might rescue us. And in reality, trusting God's promises is not our first place. 
Um, I, I have a great story. If you ask me later, I'll tell it because it's a long story, and I don't want to tell it right now because we're going to be a little long anyway, um, where I, I, my car broke down in college, and I spent hours trying to get it running. I was in a parking lot outside of a supermarket, and it started raining on me, and I could not get that stupid car started. And I finally got to the point where I was like, well, I'm just going to call a tow truck, and that is it. And I was furious, like so angry. I was seething. I don't know the way only cars can really make you angry, right? Um, And I I was about to get out of the car and go call a tow truck, and I thought, you know, I haven't prayed about this. And I spent two seconds, God, I don't want to tow my car. Can you please help me out here? And, like, before I was done talking, a car pulled up, and these guys got out and started fixing my car without talking to me. Like, that is service, buddy. But the thing was, I was angry that I even thought about praying about it, and I didn't want to pray. I wanted to do it myself. And in reality, trusting God, sometimes, like, instead of turning to our idols, um, like, like, trusting God is hard. Um, trusting God is hard when it might mean that you end up dying tomorrow, Right? I mean, I've talked to folks who are, you know, in, in bed in hospitals with cancer or, or with some, you know, with other illnesses or other issues and, and talking to them, like, it is really hard to trust God when I might turn around tomorrow and, like, breathe my last breath. Um, but in reality, trusting God is it. I mean, this is all I have at the end of the day. Everything else can fail me. And so my question for you, like, as you look at it, like, are there areas of your life with your finances, with your marriage, with your kids, um, with your dealing with stress or whatever, like where you aren't trusting him? Like, what are your idols? What do you go to for deliverance that isn't Jesus? Um, that's my give it to God. Like, because if those exist, you have to get rid of them. You have to submit to Christ. Like, salvation is only in the Lord. That is it. Um, everything else is a false sense of security. Five and six. He transitions away, and there's a really cool contrast here. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, he talks about the portion and the cup, right, which is kind of an offset to the previous verse, which was I will not pour out the cup of like these blood offerings for these pagan gods. And he says, hey, my cup is the Lord. You are it for me. This is all I want. And really, at the bottom line of it is, like, oh, my portion and my cup are my new car. My portion and my cup are my 401K. My portion and my cup are how well the farm is doing this year or how much I can grow this church or whatever. I mean, like, all these things that we look at and we say, this is what is mine. But at the end of the day, like, the psalmist is saying, Lord, you're it for me. When he says the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, this is drawing out of imagery of the land, God's promises to him, right? Like Israel is what God promised. The place that they settled is what God promised. The people, the others he's talking to, he's saying, listen, you're out there chasing after these pagans, pagan gods and these these idols, and it's nothing to you. I'm going to trust in God's promises to me. He is my cup. He is my worship. He is everything. Um, How do we apply that? Well, R is repent and renew. Shift your focus to God's promises. It's amazing to me how quickly I forget God's promises. Anybody else in this boat? 
um, where I think, man, God cannot come through. God will not deliver me today. Um, it is easy to forget that that not only is God in like control, he is in absolute control, and he can see tomorrow. And this life isn't even the only thing I get. Like, the life that I am living now is a breath compared to eternity. And God provided for my eternity by sending Christ to die for me. Um, Christ poured out his blood and, like, like, was crucified and broken on my behalf. And, and like, his promises are fulfilled in that, but they're also fulfilled every morning when I get up, every morning when I follow through, every morning when I obey and when I walk with him and when I belong to him, everything. Um, And that's why it's so important to get rid of idols because, like, God fulfills his promise. If I'm chasing after something that can't take care of me, that's dumb, isn't it? Um, It's foolish to use something to save me that can't save me. Um... I don't want to get well. So like like shifting our focus, the way we repent, the way we turn around and head in a new direction is by shifting our focus back to God's promises, back to Christ, back to the things that God provides, making him number one and the central focus of our lives. Um, and you gotta ask yourself over and over again, what are my sinful patterns? What are my idols? Right? Our culture, man, we make hobbies of idols. Sports become our idols. Right? Cars become our idols. What are, what are, I mean, there are so many things we focus on as like this is the most important thing in our lives. Family becomes our idols. Actually, in the church, this is a rampant thing. We make family into an idol. Does that mean we shouldn't love our families? No, absolutely not. You should love your family. But your family isn't God. Right? Your family cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. And only Christ can save your family, ultimately. Seven and eight. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So he goes on and he says, listen, I know the promises. This is what matters to me. And I will turn around and I will always keep my eyes on what God has for me. I will study his word. I will know what he's teaching me. I will live in this. I will walk in his ways. And I can't be shaken. What, what do we do with that? Well, It's not good enough to set up a statue and worship it, right? Like, I, 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 uh, I don't know if I even have a cross in my living room. Do we have a, we might. Yeah, we have a cross in our living room. We do. Um, it's not enough to have a cross in my living room though, right? It's not enough to wear a t-shirt that says Jesus saves you or, or to get tattoos or whatever. I mean, like those things don't save you. Like we have to learn to walk in Christ's teachings. We have to learn to walk in God's counsel and become his people because following Jesus isn't just saying, yes, Jesus saves me and being done. Following Jesus is being owned by him, right? I, uh, I'm reading a book right now written by a, by a Navy SEAL on, um, on discipline. And, and, like, in order to follow this guy's course of prescribed life, you have to, I mean, he's crazy. I mean, like, like there is a whole other level of commitment. And, and he's got outlines for these are the kinds of things you should eat. And this is when you should work out. And these are the kinds of workouts you should do. And this is the kind of, and it is involved. It is a whole lifestyle. In order to live the way this guy says you should live, it is nuts. Um, basically, in order to do it, he would own you. Um, following Christ means I belong to him. He bought me with his blood. Christ says, 
forgive folks when they offend you, right? Pray for your enemies. Christ says, um, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, like Christ gives us instruction. Um, actually, that line, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, the word yoke refers to his teachings, meaning take my yoke upon you, like take my teachings on you and live them. Um, we're called not just to be saved, but to become like Christ. And so when the psalmist says, hey, I keep focused on this stuff because worship isn't just about bowing down. Worship is about living in it. Really, that's the problem with me eating cookies when I get angry, right? Because I'm not praying. Because I'm not resorting to, like, pursuing God. That's the problem when pornography becomes the number one thing I do to deal with stress. It doesn't become, I mean, I, hypothetically, to be very clear here, um, <laughs> But, but when it becomes the number one thing I do to deal with stress, I step away from God and I focus on this. I can honor God with my mouth and live wrong and be wrong. Um, so in order to own it, we ask ourselves, do you even know God's promises in Christ? I, it's astounding to me how many men I talk to who brag, I just don't know the Bible very well. Or how many times I've had wives come and ask me questions. They'll say, well, my husband doesn't know the scriptures well enough for me to ask him, so I'm asking you. I'm not saying that like, well, no, I am. Like, men, you should know these promises. You should read it. It's a good book, bestseller. Um, it'll change your life. Being a man after God's own heart is the number one focus you can have. It is the most important thing that can happen for you. Um, and it is how you own it. You know the word. If you want to know it well, you want to know God's promises and what he promises you in Christ in particular, read the book of Romans. Read it slow and careful and digest it and chew on it. And you will know Christ in a whole new way. It is amazing. In fact, actually, John did a group for that. Right, John? And I'm not saying anything that's incorrect, am I? <laughs> you laughed at me. Um, Psalm 23 is another one I, I'm a huge fan of. Like, if you're going to own this idea that God is going to like be, be my salvation, God is all that matters, God is what protects me, Psalm 23 is a powerful one. Um, last verses, and we are almost done. Uh, I know it's long, it is warm. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to, your, to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful, see de faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will, find, you will fill me with joy in your presence and an eternal pleasure at your right hand. Um, I'm going to not do all of my slides here. This is the end of the psalm. This passage here, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will your holy one um, nor will you let your faithful see decay. Um, this is quoted twice in the book of Acts, um, pointing to Christ, right? Because at the end of the day, the Psalms, all of the scriptures are about Christ. And at this point in time, we can back up and say, like, Christ was obedient. Christ made God the number one. Christ was focused on who God called him to be. Christ, like, carried the weight of, like, the law on his back. He carried the weight of our sins on his back. Um, and God didn't abandon him to the realm of the dead. 
um, and he didn't let his faithful ones see decay. Though Christ was buried, he was resurrected before he decayed. Um, he was he was brought back. Um, and as his adopted children, like as people who are imputed righteousness, like when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Um, I know the realm of the dead has no hold over me. I know I will never see decay. I know that I will never, ever, ever be abandoned by God. The psalmist elsewhere says, even if I make my bed in hell on the day that, like on the appointed day, you'll come and get me because you cannot escape God's promises. God cannot break his own promises. I, I love this last line. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with the eternal pleasures at your right hand. Where do you get joy in life, folks? Like, where does your joy come from? I, uh, I was talking to Mark this morning. On the 4th of July, we were joking about something, and I laughed so hard I could hardly breathe anymore. Mark is one of the only people I know who does that to me. Like, I, I, where we'll talk, and we'll just both start. And, and there's a lot of joy for me being around Mark. And it's because he's my brother in Jesus, right? Like, I, I find joy in all kinds of things. I have a hundred hobbies and, I, you know, interests and everything else. But at the end of the day, like, if I find no joy in Christ, if I find no joy in my relationship with God, there's probably a problem. Like, if I pursue joy everywhere but Him, I might be looking in the wrong places. Like, even if it's just saying, like, God, thank you. I actually, it's one of the things I pray most often when I, when I do my thanks. I say, thank you for the family I got around me. Like, because they fill me with joy. Thank you for, for you know, helping me to see you in the creation around me. Um, thank you for letting me know what it is to have joy at all. Um, our, my challenge for you guys today, and this would be the apply, how do you work it into your life? Um, are you finding joy in Christ? Is Christ number one? Is he your God? Or is it relationships? Is it money? Is it escape? Is it entertainment? Is it, is it the meal that you're watching your watch and saying, hey, I'm going to be late to get to, I'm going to have to wait to sit down. Like, is it, is it food? Like, what is it? Um, we're going to finish up with uh, communion this morning. I know we're long, uh, um, but we had a guest speaker. It's not my fault. Uh, so I'm going to call, I'm going to call my guys forward who, uh, who are, are going to be distributing the elements for us today. Um, when the, when we look at the physical things that bring us joy in life, um, the scriptures provide this for us. Um, we're given the reminders in the elements that we take at communion. Um, on the night that Christ was, was betrayed, he took his bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Um, we, we don't worship communion. We take it and we know that we follow a Christ who fills us completely. Like heart, soul, everything. We are filled with Christ if we belong to him.